I want to welcome you again today, and um, we've already had a good time in the Lord this morning. You know, just there's just something about coming together and singing praises to the Lord that just sort of turns a switch inside of you, isn't it? It just changes everything. And so this has been a great morning already, and I want to thank you for being here. Take your Bibles, please, and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 4. 1 Corinthians chapter 4. After today, we have two more Sundays in our Road Signs to Finding God's Will series, and then we'll be done. We are going to try to put together a covered dish lunch for November 13th, which will be the last day in this series, and we'll get you more information on that, but that's just a little heads up for you there. We've been going through a number of signs that we hope will help us clarify a little bit this business of trying to find God's will for our life and then trying to follow it. So today we are on a bit of an unusual sign, which we don't see here in Greenville at all, and it's the carpool sign. Now, we don't have those around here, so if you've never traveled to a major city, you'll have never seen this sign in your life before. But you see these in large cities around Atlanta, L.A., and other places. And the reason that these were put up, a number of reasons really, but the the purpose behind these carpool signs is to try to, first of all, eliminate the number of vehicles on the road during rush hour in the morning and the afternoon, and then also to cut back on the amount of pollution that gets put into the air. I've flown into Los Angeles a number of times on business, and it's really scary flying into L.A. because you look out the window sometimes and you just see the city covered in nasty smog, and you know that you're about to spend the next three or four days buried in that stuff. And so they, these people came up with this idea of, okay, we're going we're gonna, to uh, block off a special lane on the highway. That's the carpool lane. And the only, the only way that you're going to be allowed to drive in that lane is if you have more than one person in your vehicle, if you're carpooling to work with somebody. And so they give you this special lane that lets you sort of zip by the the backed up traffic. That's the way it's supposed to work anyway. It doesn't always work that way, I can assure you. But the carpool idea is sort of an idea that says we need to we need to manage things better than we have been in the past. We need to be more responsible with our resources. Uh, we need to try to keep as many vehicles off the road. We need to cut down on pollution. And so the, the carpool sign today we're using to look at this idea of stewardship. Stewardship. And I think it uh, will hopefully help remind us to be good stewards of the things that God has entrusted to us. Now, if you have your Bibles open to 1 Corinthians chapter 4, I want to look at verse 2. It says, Now it is required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. In the New American Standard, it says, Moreover, it is required of stewards that one be found trustworthy, trustworthy or faithful. On a mission trip in Africa one time, a young African uh, national was asked what motivated him to give so much of himself to God's service. He answered, quote, I am wanting to be found a faithful steward. Everything I have, God has given me, and one day I will answer to him for how I used it. When I have money, I must spend it in ways that honor Him. The time I have must be managed like money. The truth God teaches me, I am a steward of. 
and I must share it with others. End quote. You know, all that you and I have, everything that we have, was given to us by God. Whether it's our possessions, our time, our talents, the truth that God has entrusted into us, all of that has been given to us by God. The question is, are we being good stewards of those things? Now, you might be sitting here saying, what does that have to do with finding God's will? I'm glad you asked. Actually, it, it has everything to do with finding God's will. Everything. You see, there's a, there's a principle that runs throughout Scripture that we see over and over again. This principle of stewardship. Now, I know when we hear the word stewardship, we think of what? Money. That's true. That's only a tiny piece of this business of stewardship. The, the, the principle... And how it relates to finding God's will is this. If you and I are not properly handling the things that God has entrusted to us, God will never move us on to the next step in His plan for our lives. And that's a key point. If we're not handling what God has already entrusted to us properly, then He'll never move us on to the next point in our walk of faithfulness with Him. It's only when we learn to be faithful with what we already have that God will lead us to the next step. You probably remember the story that Jesus told in Matthew chapter 25. He said the kingdom of heaven is like a man who was getting ready to go on a journey. And he called his servants into him and entrusted to them his goods, his wealth, his property. And to one servant he gave five talents. Now, that doesn't mean much to us today, but... A talent was a, was a weight either of gold or of silver. And uh, commentators have sort of worked this out. And in today's standards, even the smallest talent would probably be, be worth many thousands of dollars. So to one servant, he gave five. To another servant, he gave two. And to another servant, he gave one. And then the master went away on his journey. The Bible says after a long time he returned to settle accounts with his servants. That phrase has always captured my attention. He came back to settle accounts with his servants. And you know the story. He came to the first servant to whom he had given five talents. And he said to him, "Uh, what have you done with what I gave you? And the servant said, Master, I took the five talents you gave me, I invested it, I put your money to work, and I earned five more talents. And the master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. The second servant came to him, who had been given two. And he said the same thing. Master, I took the two talents that you gave me, I put them to work, and I've earned two more. And it's interesting that Jesus' reply to him, the one that only had two, was exactly the same as to the one who had five. And he said, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in the few things. I'll put you in charge of many. I'll make you ruler over many. And then the servant who had been given one talent came to him. And he said, uh, In essence, Master, I was afraid. I, I didn't know what to do with it. I was afraid of you. 
And so I took this one talent that you gave me, I dug a hole and I buried it in the ground and I covered it up to keep it safe. And now here is your one talent back. And the master, who is Jesus in the story, said, you wicked and lazy servant. And he took from him the one talent that he had and gave it to the one who had ten. Seems terribly unfair, doesn't it? But it's not at all. And the principle behind that story is what we're going to look at today, that in each of our lives, God has given us a trust. And if we fail to be good stewards of what God has given us, I'm telling you folks, if you want to find God's will, you'll never find the next step in your life unless you're managing what God has given you today in a way that pleases Him. But the good news is, if you are being a good steward of the things God has given you, you can expect for God to come and open up the next step in the pathway of finding His will. Turn quickly to Psalm 78. I wasn't going to have you turn here, but I want you to follow along just these uh, two or three verses. This is a great story. Psalm 78. This is one example from Scripture of how someone was faithful where he was. He was a good steward with the, with the few things that God had entrusted to him. And we see how God took that faithfulness and used it to give him more and to lead him on to greater things. Psalm 78, starting in verse 70. It says this, He, that is God, God chose David his servant and took him from the sheep pens, from tending the sheep, he brought him to be the shepherd of his people, Jacob, of Israel, his inheritance. And David shepherded them with integrity of heart, with skillful hands, he led them. And that, those three verses to me mean so much because young David, when he was out in the fields, in his father's fields, you remember back in 1 Samuel chapter 16, you'll find that story. He was out in the fields and really the, the, uh, the idea from that story in 1 Samuel 16 kind of tells us that his father and his brothers didn't even really include him in the family plans that much because when the prophet came to visit his house, they didn't even call David in. He was left out way out in the fields with the smelly old sheep. And David was almost an afterthought, it seems. But there he was, out in the fields, day after day, night after night, when no one was watching, and he was faithful. And God saw his faithfulness day after day and took that, uh, that trust, really, that, that he had given to David. And he said, David, you've done well. Now, come on, I'm going to move you on to greater things. You know, it's God who made us, and, and we belong to Him. Everything that we have comes from Him. And when we seek God's will, it really must begin at a point of uh, you know, acknowledging that God has every right to expect and, and even to demand that we are good stewards of everything that He's entrusted to us. And you know, you and I as believers are doubly in debt to God. Because 2 Corinthians 5 tells us that we've been bought with the blood of Christ. We belong to Him. We're His. And God didn't, uh, God didn't send Jesus to die on the cross so that we could live selfish lives 
and hoard things to ourselves, but so that we could live as good stewards of the blessings that He's given us. So since you and I are called to be good stewards and since we know that one day we're going to stand before God and give an account of what we've done with what He's given us, that ought to make us really stop and say, wow, what then am I called to be a good steward of? I want to make sure that I'm doing a good job in those areas. I want to give to you this morning four things that the Bible tells us we need to manage well. Four things that we need to be good stewards of. The first one is time. This is the first commodity that, uh, that I think we need to be good stewards of. You know, the, the President of the United States has exact, exactly the same number of hours in his week as you and I do. The richest man in the world, the poorest man in the world, all have the same amount of hours each week. And it's not really a matter of how much time we have, it's a matter of how well we use that time. Ephesians 5:15 and 16 says, Therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of your time because the days are evil. We're called to be careful because each day that we live has the potential for us to make good use of our time or to squander the time that we have. And the interesting thing is that time is a perishable commodity. Once it's spent, you never get it back. And all that you have to show for it is what you traded for it. And so we need to constantly be asking ourselves, is what I traded my time for today a worthwhile trade? Was it a worthwhile investment? The difficult thing here, I suppose, is that, and what we don't want to happen, is for people to begin to feel guilty and say, well, I guess then I need to spend four hours a day in quiet time instead of the time that I'm spending. And we can get this out of balance very easily if we're not careful. Everything in life must be balanced, folks. Everything must have a balance. We've got to make sure that we're, we're finding the right balance between work, between play, between family, between time with God and all of those things. He expects us to have balance. As you, as you study the life of Christ, you see the incredible balance that He had in His ministry of knowing when it was time to walk away from the crowds who were still waiting to see him and to say, guys, I'm done for the day. I'm going to go spend time with my father alone, praying with him. But then he knew when to come back out from that quiet time and once again give himself in ministry to the people. This, this may be one of the most difficult things that you and I struggle with our whole life is learning the balance of time. How much to give here? How much to give there? What kind of investments of our time to make and how to wisely use it? But the thing is, the clock never stops ticking. And every day that we live, we're making choices of investing ourselves and our time in one way or another. And I personally would hate to get to the end of the road and realize that I squandered this commodity of time. Well, the second thing that we need to be a good steward of is our talents. 
our talents. You know, every person has been given talents, natural abilities by God. And I'll tell you, there is a danger in the church. And I want us, I know I've told you this before, and I want us to be so careful of this. Some of you will identify very quickly with what I'm about to say. That there is a tendency in churches to take people who, whom God has called to be, let's say, missionaries and to celebrate that choice and to raise those people up in the church above everybody else. And we have parties for them and fine, that's wonderful. But let me tell you what that conveys to everybody else in the church. It conveys to them that what I'm doing in life, the talents that God has given to me, are not as worthwhile, are not as important as Joe over there who's getting ready to go to the mission field. Now, do I think we should, we should be happy when God calls someone to be a missionary? Absolutely. Should we be happy when God calls someone to, to be a pastor? Absolutely. But let me tell you what I think the church fails to celebrate is the mechanic or the artist or the nurse or the accountant who wakes up every morning and goes to their job and is faithful on their job and shares Christ when they have opportunities to do so. Those people are just as much ministers of the gospel as people who stand behind a pulpit and preach. And I want to tell you, I, I, I think it's a great disservice to the body of Christ to get that business out of balance. Let me tell you, if God has gifted you to be an artist, to be an athlete, to, to do whatever He's gifted you to do, then I would cheer you on to do that with all your might. Do it to the best of your ability. If God's called you to be a, a professional athlete, you be the best athlete there's ever been. If God's called you to be an artist, you be the best artist that's ever been. Give your talent, whatever it is, nursing, doctor, lawyer, stay-at-home mom, whatever it is that God has put inside of you to do, to give back, you take that and this church wants to celebrate you in that area. And I'll tell you, I, I believe that that we miss so many opportunities of sharing Christ because we feel like it's the job of the ministers and the missionaries to do that. Folks, it's not. It's not. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ this morning, if you've put your faith in Him, you are every bit as much a minister as I am. You are. We all need to just say, God, what have you gifted me to do? What in the world have you made me to do? And do it. Remember the movie Chariots of Fire? I mean, that guy had running in him. He just he couldn't stop. You know, I want to run for God, you know. It's a, it's a great story. And some people go, oh, that's silly, you know. No! That's what God made him to do. And he used that as a platform for ministry. And I would encourage every one of you to do the same. And you know, not only has God given us natural abilities to do certain things, but God has also given us spiritual gifts as believers that we're responsible for. And this, this falls under uh, the category of talents, I suppose, if we have to put it somewhere. 1 Peter 4.10 says, As each one has received 
a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Whatever gifts, whatever talents God has entrusted to you, the question today is, are you being a good steward of those gifts and those talents? Well, the third area of stewardship, perhaps the most mentioned aspect of stewardship, is our treasures or our financial resources. And like time, money is a a perishable commodity. Once it's spent, all that we have to show for it is what we traded for it. And again, we have to ask ourselves the question, are we making wise choices with the money that God entrusts to us? In Luke 16.11, Jesus said, So if you have not been trustworthy with worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? I think the implication of that passage is that how we use our money has something to do with what spiritual blessings God can entrust to us. Someone once said, show me a person's checkbook and I can tell you a lot about where they are with Christ. That's an interesting thought. Research shows, Barna did you know, has done a lot of research, and some of his research shows that only 6% of born-again believers actually tithe to the church on a regular basis. 6%. And, of course, that problem is nothing new if you read in Malachi. Malachi 3.8. God was speaking to the people. He said, Will a man rob God? Yet you rob me. And then the people ask, How have we robbed you, God? And he says, in tithes and offerings, you are under a curse, the whole nation of you, because you're robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. And he says, test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room enough for it. In 2 Corinthians 9, 6, and 7, Paul wrote to the church there in Corinth and said, Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. I'll tell you, this area of our life, perhaps more than any, is one that once we cross that line from being afraid of giving to God the first portion of our income like He has asked us to do and crossing over into joyfully giving to Him the first portion of what we make, there is something that changes inside of us. And I don't really know how to describe it to you. I was afraid of this for a long time, even growing up as a pastor's kid, you know. Don't raise your hand, but, but have, you ever, have you ever sat down, you know, you've got your check and you deposit it and, and you sit down and you've got your calculator and you work out your tithe to the penny. <laughs> you know, you've got to make sure you don't give any more than that 10%. And, you know, it's, it's going from sort of that idea to say, God, I am, I am so blessed with however much or however little you've entrusted to me right now in my life. And I'm going to trust you by taking the first portion, the best portion, the first fruits it was called in the Old Testament, and giving that back to you, trusting you 
to make up the difference. Because this is yours anyway, God. That first portion belongs to you. And I'm going to take it and I'm going to give it to you. And I'm going to ask you to bless it. And I'll tell you, God will. And it's, it's my prayer that this church will always be a giving church. Some of you know that the, the very first Sunday we met down there in that old room, you know, we don't take up a collection here. It's not that there's anything in the world wrong with doing that. We just didn't feel like that was the way to go about it. You know, it kind of puts people on the spot. When you're passing a plate in front of somebody, it's, you know, I mean, who, who wants to give that way? I don't. I'm really uncomfortable with that. And it makes people uncomfortable. So we just have a little box on the back table and we leave it up to you. I was shaving one morning and God said, I want you to take uh, whatever comes in on that first Sunday and I want you to give it all away. And I almost cut myself, you know. <laughs> Say, what? What? No, we need that to get started. God said, no, 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 Phil. Trust me on this one. Trust me. You take this first step right at the beginning and I'll bless you for it. And I came to the guys and I told them that. I said, guys, God told us we have to give this whole offering away. And they cheered. I was like, yeah, that's awesome. That's a great idea. Let's do that. And so we took our first offering, the whole thing, every penny of it, and we gave it away. And I'll tell you what, look around, folks. Look around where we are this morning. God, I believe with everything inside of me that God has taken that little act of faith on our part and He's dropped this place in our lap. He's blessed us beyond measure already. And if we ever cease to become a giving church, let me just give you this warning today. If we ever cease to be a giving church, God will remove His hand from this place. Trust me on this. He will. But as long as we continue to be a giving people like we are, I'm telling you, the sky's the limit. There's no telling what God is going to do. I heard a preacher just... Uh, maybe a month ago, six weeks ago, something like that. I have the recording at home. I actually had to go back and re-listen to it to make sure I heard it right. But Pastor James McDonald was preaching and he said he was letting the people know that something they had been praying and fasting for for two years, God had just, had just dropped right in front of them. God gave them a $50 million complex free of charge. I had to listen to that three or four times to make sure he wasn't saying 15 or, you know, five or something, but $50 million complex. And here was Pastor McDonald's comment. He said, the only reason God did that for us is because we have been a giving church from day one. Whenever God blesses them, they turn right around and give it back. Now, we don't give to God in order to get. God's not a vending machine. And that's a dangerous mentality. You know, well, God, if I pay you off, then maybe I'll hit the jackpot. Be very careful of that. We give to God whether He ever does anything for us because He is God and He's worthy of that. Well, the final point, the final area that we need to be good stewards in, which I think is most often at, uh, omitted from sermons on stewardship, is that God has called every believer to be a good steward of truth of the truth that He has entrusted to us. As followers of Christ, every one of us have had truth planted within us as a trust. Not as a stopping point, not as an end in itself, but as a trust 
what are we going to do with the truth that God has given to us? 2 Timothy 2.2 is a great verse. It says, Paul is writing to young Timothy, he says, The things that you have learned from me or heard from me among many witnesses, commit those things to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. And you see four generations there that Paul has passed on truth to Timothy and he says, Tim, don't stop there. You have now been given this trust of truth and you need to now take that truth and pass it on to other men so that they will be able to do the same also and pass it on to others. This truth that you and I have been given is a trust by God. Do we sit here week after week and soak in the truth of God's Word just so that we can become you know, fat, dumb, and happy? So that we can get puffed up with knowledge about the Bible and say, man, I learned something new today and that's really great and we never pass it on to anybody else. You see, someone took the time to invest the truth from their life into you. Someone understood this principle of stewardship and cared enough to pass on the truth so that your ears heard it one day and it touched your heart and you gave your life to Christ. Now I would suggest that it's your turn. That it's your turn to take the truth that has been entrusted to you and to pass it on. Jesus himself said in Matthew 28, 18 through 20, the Great Commission it's called, he said, I want you to go and teach them to observe everything that I've commanded you. There's that chain again. Jesus passed on truth to his disciples and he said, guys, I didn't give this to you so you could just sit around and have committee meetings all day and talk about how smart you are and how much you know about me. I gave it to you for one reason. So you could give it to somebody else. So you could pass it on to others. Statistics say that only 5% of Christians have any kind of personal ministry. Only 5% of Christians have any kind of personal ministry. In other words, an active, deliberate, intentional means of passing their faith on to others. And only 1% of Christians disciple somebody else. You know what, guys? The Jehovah's Witnesses and the Mormons are cleaning our clocks in this area right here. I mean, they are making fools out of us and shame on us, you see. And I think partly, in fairness, it's the church's fault for not taking people and teaching them how to disciple other people, how to train other people. The church bears most of the responsibility of that because, again, as I taught you a long time ago, when we went through the series on the church and we dismantled the church and, and ripped all the layers off of the church and took a real look inside at what the church was supposed to be, we've seen that over the centuries the church really is at fault for making this tremendous gap between the guy up here and the people out there. I'm the clergy and you're the laity. What a, I mean, that's an awful word, isn't it? Y'all are just the laity. That's all right. I might associate with you. I might not. It depends how I feel. That's a horrible thing. And one of the things that we talked about when we began this church was a deliberate effort to 
to bridge that gap and really to make that gap disappear. As I've told you many times, there's no difference between me and you. Just because God has called me to do what I'm doing today makes me no better than any of you. There's no distinction between us, folks. We're all in the same boat. We're all just sheep in His pasture. And it's a very dangerous thing for us to think that just because I'm up here, that I'm the one who's called to pass on truth to others and that you're not responsible for the truth that has been entrusted to you. I'm going to tell you, that is it's absolutely wrong. Each one of us today, if we're followers of Christ, each one is a steward of these four things that God has entrusted to us. The question is, what kind of steward am I? And since Scripture makes it very clear that, as I said earlier, one day we will stand before God and give an account of how we have handled the things that have been entrusted to us, I think we better make real sure that we're asking ourselves the right questions. Questions like, will this decision I'm, I'm about to make result in my being a good steward? Will this purchase that I'm about to make cause me to be a good steward of my finances or a bad steward? Will this decision that I'm about to make cause me to be a wise steward of my time? Or will it squander my time? As 1 Corinthians 4.2 said that we looked at earlier, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. I'll tell you folks, <clears throat> part of finding God's will, a very big part of finding God's will, is for us to be good stewards of what He has already entrusted to us. I want to leave you with this thought today. A question, really. Are you being a faithful steward? Are you being faithful right now? Not are you planning on it next year sometime. Not one of your New Year's resolutions. But are you being faithful right now with who you are, with where you are, and with what you have? Remember I told you a couple weeks ago, G.K. Chesterton once said, if you can't be faithful where you are, you won't be faithful where you ain't. And that's absolutely true. Let's not plan on being faithful one day. Let's not plan on being good stewards one day. Let's ask ourselves, are we being faithful right now with who we are, with who God has made us to be, with where we are in life, and with the things that God has entrusted to us. I pray that when we stand before the Lord one day as LifePoint Community Church, that Christ will say to us, Well done, good and faithful servants. Don't you want to hear that one day? Boy, I do. I want to hear, Well done, good and faithful servants. Being good stewards of what we have. Let's pray. Father, I ask you this morning that you would take this very simple very basic message and you would use it to simply remind us of the importance of being responsible with the things that you have entrusted to us. Lord, we all drop the ball in one of these four areas from time to time. Every one of us do. And I just pray, Lord, you'd give us a greater sense this morning, a greater awareness of
of knowing that you have entrusted these things to us and that one day you will come again, just as you said in Matthew 25, and you will take account. And I pray, Lord, that we would be able to stand proudly before you and smile and say, Lord, we really took what you gave us and used it the best we could for you. And I pray that we'd hear, well done, good and faithful servant. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.